Hey everybody, you're listening to So Many Sequels. I'm Josh. I'm Garrett. I'm David. And uh, today on the show, we don't have Andrew with us. No, he's, that's not so. He, <laughs> he's, gonna, he's not going to listen. He's not going to listen. That's why I can say it. Uh, we don't have Andrew. He's out of town gallivanting across New York City because he's better than us. Yeah. But we do have a special guest with us today. You uh, may remember him from our very first series we did. Yeah. Um, was it The Empire Strikes Back? The Empire Strikes Back. The Empire Strikes Back was our second episode ever. Daniel Ott is back with us today on the phone. Say hi, Daniel. Hello. Works. <laughs> well, I'm, that, okay, that was exciting. <laughs> How's it going, I'm buddy? Trying to bring the energy. Yeah, yeah going I gotta bring great. The um, Daniel has his own podcast. Is yeah, um, talking Tom. Uh, all Tom Hanks. How's that? All Tom Hanks all the time. How's it been going? It's good. We we had a little bit of a hiatus mm-hmm. because uh, last few months have been crazy, but we have three in the bag, and the next one will come out uh, soon. I don't know when this airs, so I won't say the <laughs> date, but it's probably out by the time this comes out. Cool. And people can find that at TalkingTom.com? Talking with TalkingTom.com, or all over the social pages at PodHanksTomCast. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, cool. So Daniel's our resident Star Wars expert, as big of fans as we think we are. Uh, he's probably ten times that. Well, he, uh, if you remember, we have him on this podcast. Mm-hmm. It's a sequel to the new trilogy, but he also predicted the name of this oh, that's... of this movie. Was it this movie? Yep. Wow. Was it this one? Did you? You yeah, did two in a row, one. right? Hmm. Are you there? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Did, <laughs> you, you get. You get. Did you guess the Force Awakens too? Um. No, I think they. No, I didn't even try and guess the Force Awakens, but I did guess the Last Jedi, like right after the Force Awakens. Nice. And then, Luckily, I had sent it on, like, Facebook Messenger, so it was timestamped from, like, 18 months before they announced it, which was cool. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. A win's a win. So today yeah. on the show, we are talking about Star Wars The Last Jedi, um, the second installment in the sequel trilogy, the penultimate episode of the Skywalker Saga. Um, it's a big one. It's a big one. And I think we're going to have a lot to say. There's a lot of opinions about this movie uh-huh. on the internet. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that there will be very much differing of opinions in this room, but there's a lot to talk about nonetheless. So we'll go ahead and do what we normally do, is go around the room and uh, everybody give one word to describe Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Go ahead, David. Mine is uh, subversive. Subversive. Okay. Subversive. Garrett? I'm just going to take the easy way out because I couldn't think of one, and I'm just going to say controversial. Ah, boring! I know! I'm really upset with it. You I picked, didn't... <laughs> You picked an edgy word. In a boring way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Daniel, what's your word? Uh, I just wrote, it fucks. Yeah! <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to call it a masterpiece. Yeah. Ooh. I, there you go. I'm just going to be that one on the podcast. That sort of sort of uh, tempers your review a little bit. Do you yeah. want to get into generally what you thought? Yeah, so I <laughs> um, love Star Wars, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I watched this movie the night it came out, it was honestly like the closest thing to a religious experience I may have ever had. It was like, moved me completely. Mm -hmm. It shocked me. It made me laugh. It made me cry. It was so good. It threw my uh, expectations, completely turned them over. Mm -hmm. Uh, I loved every aspect of it. Yeah, I remember walking out of the theater and uh, did not have it spoiled for me this time by his tiny child. Right. <laughs> but it was, uh, uh, I had a lot of, um, what's the word for it? Dissonance mm. walking out. It wasn't that I didn't, it wasn't that I disliked it. I was really just 
more shocked by most of the things that had happened in the movie. I was like really uncertain about things. And it wasn't until I went back and watched it the second time and I started hearing things that I didn't catch the first time. And I was like, it started to really stand out to me what sort of the the the, the hit like the messages i would say i would call it a hidden message but it's not really hidden they kind of give it to you about how how this movie or how the events of the last jedi are going to influence these characters going forward and after that i was like this is great mm-hmm. this is great and i i i really think they made the right choice by giving us something that i don't feel like many people expected yeah, it left me out of breath uh, several times. Um, there was just so many moments where I was gasping at the shock that I was seeing. Um, some of the, one of my favorite parts of this movie is the dead silence mm. aspect. How mm-hmm. that much silence in that particular moment hit me in my in my soul, <laughs> and I didn't know I needed it, but I did. And that's the way I felt about so many things that happened in this movie. Just. Yeah breathless yeah daniel daniel do you remember your first takes yeah i think i think i was on the same page as josh where i was just like shook we because i really i really loved the force awakens even though it felt very i always call like the force awakens comfort food like it was i left and i knew what i got and i was happy that i got it but i I wasn't changed by it and last jedi i thought would be a little more of the same even though i I have been a, a lifelong fan of line of ryan johnson's career so leaving it and being like genuinely uh sort of out of my mind with what i had seen and it was weird because we we went with i think like 27 people and universally loved in the group so i was not prepared for what the next few weeks would bring yeah Yeah, let's let's talk about that so sure again you're the you're the expert you're in the you're in the field of film industry stuff why do you think there's so much backlash with this particular uh, movie? It's in a tough. I was talking the other day about franchises and sort of our personal attachment to them. And Star Wars is really unique because it is it is such an expansive gap of of generations that love this thing. Mm-hmm. People grew up on, you know, our parents had um, the originals, and we grew up with uh, the prequels in theaters. And now there's a new generation growing up with this, so it's very personal. And when something is that personal, it is you, you take it you take that art as yours. And so when that art is not what you want it to be, you feel personally attacked by it. Is sort of how I have looked at it. Um, but and it, it's it's weird because it seems very unique to Star Wars in this case because something like we, we were talking about how no one you know whatever your thoughts are on like the Jurassic World movies, no one's like mad about Jurassic World. They just like might not like it, but yeah. no one gets on Twitter and sends death threats. They're like, oh, in the next one, can you put my favorite dinosaur in instead? <laughs> yeah, like it's it's a really weird dynamic that is associated with Star Wars fandom. I always get frustrated because this whole the what this movie did to me was raise so many potential. Like it raised so much potential. It can be this. It can do this. It took everything that you expected. And then just ripped it out of your heart. And I feel like it was in a, not a no-win situation, but it could have done what it did and make people mad. Or it could have followed the path of what people thought was going to happen, and then they would have been upset because it was like, well, that's so predictable. I saw that coming a mile away. Why couldn't you do something original? And then you do something original, and then everyone on the internet hates it. 
Yeah, that was my big takeaway. Was I? I there. Are, if you if you don't like the Force Awakens and you don't like the Last Jedi, I'm willing to like give you a little bit of room on your complaint because I guess there's it's just the new stuff that you don't like. But the people who thought that the last that the Force Awakens were was like too formulaic and just a ripoff of the, A New Hope, and then get mad that the Last Jedi is so different and, t- and takes risks and does different things with the characters than what people built up in their head. It, it, I don't understand that level of like disagreeing like you wanted something yeah, I don't different know what you want at that point. yeah i agree you wanted something different they gave you something different that you know didn't give you the answers you thought you were going to get and now and you hate it now <laughs> it, it's you know it's there and the thing is it would be great if there was just like one singular complaint that you could like address but there's like all these like little splintering off bits mm-hmm. whether it's the stuff with people being misogynistic about it or people who are just complaining about, you know, you know, the idea of Ray's parents or complaining just about the portrayal of Luke Skywalker that, like, splinters off into, like, all these different groups. And it, it gets really difficult to get through the weeds of what exactly it is that turns some people off. Yeah. It's interesting with the Internet because none of the prequels had the Internet to back it. So... We're in a unique position where uh, the small minority of fans that are, I wouldn't I wouldn't say they're fans because they hate it, but people that disliked it can be so vocal. And because of the way algorithms work online, they appear to be the majority. Yeah. Um, I know I saw a, a tweet by Ryan Johnson that 95% of people that talk to him online are beautiful and loving and you know they like the work or they'll critique the work but like that it is a positive interaction and then the five percent that people read and get the news lines because it's clickbait it's easy to you know make an article about is the ones that get all the attention because that's the that's the drama that's the good story mm-hmm. yeah and you're right about the algorithms that's the thing i think a lot of people don't think about when they're on the internet because it it, it um kind of overtakes all forms of conversation entertainment pop culture News, politics, everything that these algorithms value, the the angry emotion, the controversial takes because it generates more mm-hmm. uh, use. Mm-hmm. So that's what we see shoot up to the top. And it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like the idea of Yelp reviews and all that. You don't go to you don't leave a good Yelp review. Yeah. You only go to those sites when you're angry at something. Yeah. So it's hard to trust that kind of talk because usually when people are content they just don't say anything. Yeah, when they can't, that's when that's how word of mouth, right? You know, works. And I think the word of mouth I've always heard for Last Jedi has always been good. I've not met a single person in in person that had anything negative to say about yeah. Last Jedi. It's only ever I've, I've encountered know, tweets a and things like that. It's nothing. Well, but also you people. sort of find your if you if you didn't like it and like that sucks. Like it sucks to like be excited for something that means something to you and not like it. I yeah. totally get that. And I I think a lot of the stuff I've read. In uh, that it's sort of the negatives of why people didn't like it critically, um, I totally can get behind. I like understand things that work for me that didn't work for people. That's totally fine. It's when it kind of rolls over and becomes this immense personal attack on the filmmakers and yeah. on the fans. Right. Whereas if your liking of it fundamentally makes you like have poor taste or like you think it's a bad writing and blah 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 it, it's not about like your personal thing anymore it's more like no everyone else is wrong because this is mine and i am right there's an article i'll have to send um that someone wrote that's about like the how the last 15 years has created like a fandom of victimhood where the fans can now be the victims and they play that up to this insane extent that puts them in the spotlight where they are you know the last jedi is now 
a, a controversial movie because of all this negative stuff. But in reality, it's like a really small chunk. But because of the way the internet works, you know, that's where we are now. Well, we've yeah. even seen lately a lot of the press interviews is the stars are going to late shows to promote uh, Rise of Skywalker, them semi trying to distance themselves seemingly from The Last Jedi because of how controversial it is. And, you know, you, you've seen a little bit more than I have, Josh, but people, they're, they're trying yeah. to distance themselves while also not bash the movie. Yeah, I was really, I've been really thrown by that. Uh, there was a, a pretty extensive New York Times piece the other day with interviews with J.J. With Abrams and um, Daisy Ridley and John Boyega, those three in particular, and, and they do. They make some comments about The Last Jedi that are that seem very a very strange way to promote the next movie in the series. Uh, you know, J.J. talked about, I believe he called it a little too meta. Um, he talked about how um, he said something along the lines of people don't like to be told that their questions don't matter or something like that. Um, Boyega also wasn't really thrilled with the arc his character had. And uh, I think Daisy Ridley was just excited to have J.J. back because of the, quote, structure he brought to the set. So I don't know what any of that means, but I just thought that was... I've seen some people sort of breaking that down because it, like... Daisy Ridley's comments were taken from a different interview where she was talking about after the firing of Colin Trevorrow, she was excited to have J.J. back because he made her career, or he started it with in casting her, and so it was emotional for her to have him back, but then the article uses that as if she's so overwhelmed because she hated The Last Jedi. It's, it's a really weird yeah. article. Yeah, but I think I uh, J.J. and um, John Boyega have said some stuff that really wants to put a distance. But at the same time, there's other articles where they talk about how they love this thing. It is, it's like a, I don't know, part of me thinks that it's sort of a news thing spun up to generate that, oh, you guys, the people that didn't like Last Jedi, look, these people maybe didn't too, so you should see the new one because it might be different. Mm-hmm. That's entirely possible, because it, it does, the, the Daisy Common in particular does seem like something that could be twisted into a context that it wasn't meant to be in. Because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, obviously J.J. did explode her career casting her in The Force Awakens, um, and she doesn't really go into any details further than that so anything else is left to the imagination but i do think there's something to be said about the idea of um maybe some media sites and whatnot trying to let star wars have its cake and eat it too by by saying this is different but also the last one's not too bad but this is different we're back to normal i promise yeah yeah and lately i've had and i again i don't have any disbelief that they're going to lead me astray or lead me down a path that I don't like. But something because of all of these things that have cropped up lately as they get closer to this movie coming out. In this movie, it's not a surprise that Emperor Palpatine has returned. My concern has been, are they bringing him back just as like a fan service of like, okay, you didn't like the new thing. Here's someone else that's familiar and let's start bringing this in. I don't think they're doing that, but it is a concern that I've had pop into my head recently of like okay how can we get these people that were so mad at us for the last jedi back on our side let's bring back this character as and work it into the movie it's got to be tough to like and in terms of approaching something like this like marvel has the sort of kevin feige as like an intermediary to how they plan stuff and they don't always plan stuff expertly because they have they run into little roadblocks that they have to course correct you know the infinity gauntlet was seen in uh, thor or whatever and like but now we're seeing it here how does that work so i think they're approaching making a star wars trilogy and you want 
you want the directors and the writers to be able to play in this world and like leave their stamp with their voice. So if you map the whole thing out, it's not really you're having someone come in to direct it, but like there is a really strict structure they have to follow then. So they're doing it and I'm sure that they'll add something to it, but having them sort of you know, you you do one movie and the next person writes the next movie. I think is really fascinating because then each filmmaker and writer gets to like really be like, what story do I want to tell from this? Not here's the thing I have to tell. So yeah. that's sort of with like your comment about Emperor Palpatine. My hope is that they they saw what they were working with and what they'd sort of built up and they're like this makes sense. This wraps things up really nicely and we can drop this in. Or the other end of that is they're like, well, we could do this because people know this and that will get us out of this. And I hope that's not the case. I hope it's not the case. I don't think it is, but it is something that recently has hit my head. Yeah, Ryan yeah. Johnson, uh, there's a great, if you have the um, the Last Jedi on Blu-ray, you have the like bonus disc. I was telling you guys before, there's kind of like a documentary about his uh, work on the film. It's like an hour and a half documentary about, it's called the director, and the Je- or director of the Jedi, or director and the Jedi, or something like that. And he talks about how when they hired him, Kathleen Kennedy said, I don't want a gun for hire. I really want you to do your, do whatever you want with this. Um, you know, and he, it was his, it was as, as he states it, it was his call to kill Luke. Like they didn't plan that before the movie. And JJ, I don't think had anticipation for that to be the case either. So like they gave him the freedom there. And so if JJ is coming back, he has the freedom to, you know, do however, you know, handle this however he wants coming off of that. It's, you know, he has to react to Ryan's, uh, or Johnson's, uh, changes. Um, and hopefully he does, you know, I think a lot of people are hoping, there are people that are hoping, the people that, you know, hate on the film, and there are people who are kind of like worried that he's just going to retcon things that happened in The Last Jedi to try to quote unquote fix them or, or to, to, you know, bring it back to the story he was trying to tell. And uh, I hope that whatever they do, it just fits from a story perspective. You know, a lot of people complain about fan service, but fan service can work if you do it in a way that makes sense story wise. Look at Endgame. Yeah, look at Endgame. You can look at you can look at bringing Bo Peep back in Toy Story Four. People wanted to see. People are asking, "Where's Bo Peep in Toy Story 3? People were bummed about she wasn't there and part of the gang. They bring her back for Toy Story 4. You could see it as just fan service, but they integrated it in such a way that it told a really nice story. So if they can, if, if they find a story reason to bring back Palpatine in a way that feels motivated and feels like it'll complete everything, then it won't feel like just fan service. Twenty, you know, especially twenty years from now, when some other new kid starts watching these movies, it's not going to feel like fan service to him. True, it's going to yeah. feel like a part of the story. Um, to bring it back. To the Last Jedi a little bit. We're getting a little too Rise Sorry. of Skywalker uh, speculation, Sorry. which is which I want to get to later. But Last Jedi, <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned you mentioned Luke mm-hmm. in in there's David. So let's go ahead and talk about Luke's um, arc in this movie a little bit. Yeah, let's do that. Um, especially since his character's um, journey is one of the more controversial aspects of this movie for people. We got like. 15 seconds of Luke in, in The Force Awakens and he didn't speak. Mm-hmm. So we have no idea what's going on other than he is seemingly alone on an island. In this movie, we find out he is indeed alone on an island. He's kind of... Uh, he's he's shunned himself from the rest of society. Yeah. Close himself off to the Force. Close himself off to the Force. Right. He wants none of that anymore. Ray comes to him for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of see... 
to to just kind of like speed through what happens with him. He 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 is convinced to try to train her in the ways of the Force. He does to an extent. Um but he also has this cynicism about him that we haven't seen from Luke before that I know is one thing that a lot of people were upset about. Um and then he does this ultimate ultimate sacrifice at the end um where he becomes one with the force or whatever mm-hmm. we want to call that yeah. and and disappears a la Obi-Wan and Yoda yeah so how do how does everyone in in this room feel about Luke's story seemingly coming to its end at this stage um if it ended here it would be a very beautiful send off um i think in terms of his last moment that was i think that was beautiful him looking up and seeing the two sons that was great yeah um you know i think that they ultimately this is one of the situations where i feel like they took risks they made luke a character that doesn't seem to match who he was uh what is it in universe 34 42 years ago however long it was and i think that while that is a a a controversial way to do it as we said i think it was kind of the right way to go because it shows that something has changed you know we see han and leia and they're kind of still mostly themselves leia has you know she's become more in charge of the resistance han solo seems to be still kind of just being wayward but you know luke shows that something has happened that you know like He's had a radical change in his personality, which is a really interesting way to, to show that progression, to show his cynicism, show how he's given up on the concept of the Jedi, mm-hmm. and he wants to just die. And he kind of hoped that once, you know, some way, at some point, someone's going to, you know, take out Kylo Ren and take out Snoke, and that'll be done. There'll be no more people who know how to use the Force at all or something. And it makes for a very dark character and a lot of people may not like it but i think that that's the best way to to do it nobody's expecting that okay so <clears throat> i have a whole section on my notes about luke's character so i have a lot of different yeah. i see this here, now don't but, you can't talk for half an hour no no, no i'm not i won't <laughs> but i here's the thing that to that they did with luke in my opinion Throughout the whole original trilogy, Luke is seen as the chosen one, as the answer to the problem. He changes Darth Vader. He does all of the things perfectly and wonderfully. He's being told over and over that he's the chosen one, that he's the one that's going to solve all of these problems. He doesn't really face, like, ultimate defeat in those three movies overall. Until Last Jedi, where we learn that he was unable to train and successfully Mm -hmm. keep... His own flesh and blood, well, his own blood, not flesh, but like his nephew, his nephew, his nephew from going to the dark side. That's the first major hit that Luke has had. Yeah. So if you're told over and over that you're the chosen one, that you're the, the savior of everything, and then you take a hit like that for the first time in your life almost, you're going to react. And in my opinion, Luke reacted in a way that was someone who's never had this before. He overreacted. But when you're told that you're great and you have not had adversity, that's something that some people do. He went off to an island, had to think about that, and then whenever you're already hit and shaken, you start looking back at all that negativity. 
And that's what he brings up through this movie. Even at the height of the Jedi power, we let Darth or Count Dooku and Darth Sidious take over and, and put us out of our misery. Um, a Jedi Master trained Darth Vader and is responsible for all of that. And then Rey is like, but also a Jedi Master turned him. He's forgotten all of the positives because he's so consumed mm-hmm. with the negative. Mm-hmm. And this, if you look at it from that perspective, is a perfectly logical arc that all main Jedi Masters in this franchise have done. All of them. Yoda, Kenobi, both of them had big-time defeats that led them to exile and to rethink the entire Jedi perspective. So I don't understand why people are mad about that. Daniel? <laughs> I, th- I've, I think taking both both of their points are great. There's, there's a line Yoda says in The Last Jedi uh, that failure... Um, Failure is the greatest teacher, something of that nature. Yeah, and I think Star Wars has always been about failure. The prequels are just constant failures that lead to devastation. The original trilogy is failures that ultimately lead to like something kind of working. And the same with this. And I, I think there's a concept of there's the, the saying, "Don't meet your heroes." I think it applies to Luke because he has spent the original trilogy is him coming to terms with who he is where he's from, and what is expected of him. And to a degree, he succeeds at great loss to become who he who he actually is. And then he spends all this time, which we know very little about, um, trying to rebuild his idea of what he thinks the world should be, and it crashes and burns. Um, and then there's the whole concept of the legend that he talks about, and this idea of bloodlines that's sort of stricken down, I think, smartly. Um, that basically says, like, he is, he's, this icon means so much, and if he's gone, then the thing stops. And so his reasoning is, if, well, if the thing stops, maybe it's for the better, and if I disappear, then that is what makes of it. And there's this, I don't know, I, I, I think it makes complete sense, especially the, the concept of, like, well, he's, people say he's, he's grumpy and old and doesn't want to do it. We have no idea how long he's been gone. He's been on this rock by himself with, like, these fish creatures and, like, drinking dope green milk and like the porch yeah. and stuff like, of course you're gonna go a little bit you don't want to see anyone you've done this very intentionally um but i think people sort of miss this there's all these like spiritual and political overtones to like star wars and what luke is accomplishing and he literally watched and he was in- directly involved with crumbling an oppressive empire and then watches it rise right back and i think that's I think it, it is to a degree a retread um, in terms of how it's presented in The Force Awakens, but at the same time, I think it's true to like current life. We keep thinking we're making progress, and then we take ten steps back. Deep. Um, and I think that's sort of what the crux of Luke. He is just defeated by a galaxy that does not care, and that he can't win. Josh? I'm sold. <laughs> you got anything to add to this? I don't have anything to add Luke, to that. Uh, this, is, this is where one of those things where we generally all agree, so... I don't know. Yeah, no, that's all. That all nails it. Well, to, I think Luke's uh, arc is great, and I think all I could think about was how similar it is to Yoda, especially in terms of Yoda training Luke, going through a lot of the same motions. Luke training Ray, going through a lot of the same motions. Uh, it's one of those situations where I truly grasp to find where people think it's that different. Yeah, to um. To jump off of something that Daniel said and to kind of move to our, our new heroes, mm. to Ray and Finn and Poe, um, yeah, I wrote down the line here. Uh, uh, Yoda says, the courageous teacher, a 
failure is. Um, and this movie really is about our heroes failing. If you look at like every decision they make, it all leads to like the worst possible thing that could happen. You know, because Poe wouldn't listen to Holdo, he sent Ray and Finn or Finn and Rose off to go and find this code breaker. They bring back a guy who's not the code breaker, right? Who betrays them, and it's because of all that action that like a whole ton of the rebels the get killed out, yeah. because like that guy brings in just like trades off the information. And so if like Poe had just listened at the beginning, then they could have, in theory, a lot, a whole lot, a, a lot more uh, rebels saved. But it's that failure and that that realization that you see just before the end of the movie make him actually take a step and think, hey, this is an opportunity for us to, to you know, get away. And you see that change in, like, in, in leadership and, 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 and Leia even, see, you know, sort of ceding leadership to him. And it's great to get that in this movie. I think we're going to see how it affects Finn and how it affects uh, Ro, uh, Rose and Rey in Rise of Skywalker. But... Um, and it's also tied into Luke's story about failing, you know, about how failure has has changed who he is and has changed what his you know his story is going to be going forward. And I just think that's a really cool, different theme to introduce into Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Something that I don't think anybody really expected is like to see the the, bat, the you know the heroes not win. Yeah, I agree so, with that. Um, specifically, I I, I really dig on Poe's story in this because Poe I felt like was an under, kind of underserved in The Force Awakens yeah. and he really gets a chance to kind of like stand out here yeah each of the I mean he and Finn really go through character arcs which is why I'm interested why Boyega doesn't feel like he enjoys his character's arc because he has a major one throughout the whole Force of Awake the, uh, the Force Awakens his character is trying to run away and hide every turn that he gets every possible chance that he gets for the most part he's ready to hightail it and get out of the first order's way so he and, and get away from them as far as possible yeah, he's not a rebel he's not a yeah. fighter he can fight in this but he wants to get away in this one he has moments of where he's trying to run away that's how he and rose meet um but over time he's opened up to more of a world where you know he's never seen anything like canto bite he doesn't understand that's the first time he's been a part of something like that and through going going through those experiences, he gets his courage and by the end of the movie is willing to, again, sacrifice himself in order for the Resistance to live on, which is something he wouldn't have done in the first movie. And now you see that courage that he has. And then same thing with Poe, where he is uh, go get him, think action, blow him up, hero. Yeah. And he's not a leader of the Resistance. And Rey is trying to be... She's the leader, but in a different way than Poe. Um, Poe finally understands by the end of the movie, you can't always make that decision because too many people get hurt. Sometimes the best decision is to go away. Not every time, but if you're losing more people and the end result is that all you did was blow up a dreadnought when that really doesn't impact too much, maybe that's not the right decision. You got to think about the next battle. Yeah. too. You can't think of every battle as the last one. Mm-hmm. Josh, any any of those stories really stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, I I continue to really enjoy Finn because mm-hmm. of the of how hard he fights to 
not be a part of something bigger than he is. Mm-hmm. Um, he literally only, in both The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, he kind of gets cornered into doing what's ultimately the right thing, or that triggers him into it. Um, he's he's stuck with Rey, kind of, in the first one. And in, in this one, he gets cornered by Rose. Uh, he would have he left if it weren't for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, along the way, again, he finds out what he really should be doing is being a part of this resistance. So I, I quite enjoy his story, and I'm really looking forward to seeing if in The Rise of Skywalker he fully embraces his role or if he continues to have these urges to run. Mm-hmm. Or he's yeah, Finn's, Finn is defined by running in Force Awakens, and he finds... I mean, he comes... He, he mentions in Force Awakens that he's taken from family uh, as a child, and so his entire life is, is this forced teamwork, and it's barely teamwork because it's, you know, it's a... It's this dictatorship type of thing. Um, tyrant. Um, and then he, he continues to try and run in, in Last Jedi, but he, he has purpose. He's found purpose in his friends, and I think he meets a friend in Rose that makes him feel um, the same. But then at the end, when he fights Phasma, um, he says for the first time, I'm a rebel, and rebel scum. And then for the first time, he starts to try and lead uh, on Crate when they battle. He takes charge and wanting he now has purpose. So I'm I'm in the same boat where people are like he doesn't have an arc and I'm like no his arc is he went from running to finding purpose to then willing to sacrifice himself to further that purpose. Yeah, it's, it's odd that that's a sort of a thing people focus on. Mm-hmm. He, find, he finds his reason to fight. You know? Yeah, exactly. And, and there's there's a whole galaxy of people out there like that can't fight or don't aren't you know are, are being held down and he doesn't see that he's never seen anything beyond you know the front of his stormtrooper helmet prior to this and so he found what he needs you know his reasoning to fight and i think that makes a really cool arc um i think in the in the i saw a clipping of him talking about that he he was disappointed in the last jedi because of it split everyone up but i think that's interesting because the force awakens ends with everyone split up Mm -hmm. so i mean ray's off with luke um finn's with or finn's out of commission at that point um, and Poe's doing his thing. It's, I, 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 that was an interesting thing for people to be like, well, I wanted them to spend time together. I'm like, But it, the story has to start with them separated because that's where we left off. Like really It wasn't it. a choice of... Because then the, the story would be like, well, how do they get back together so fast? Type mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, and this is not... It's not an uncommon form of storytelling either. I mean, typically in these kind of epic stories, when you have a, a trio or a group or whatever, there's almost always a time where they all separate and have to find their way back together. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah. this is just not... Because well, it's, it's going to make... If they spend a lot of time together in Rise of Skywalker, it makes that all the more satisfying. Yes. Because we've spent time with them growing, and now they're together to take on the biggest, you know, child, the biggest stakes that they've encountered. I think one of the funnier aspects of this movie, and it's not, like, meant to be funny, but I laughed because I'd forgotten since I watched this movie last... That um, Poe and Ray actually haven't met yeah. prior to yeah. the very yeah. end of the movie. Poe goes, "I'm Poe," and she goes, "I'm Ray." And he goes, I-, "I know all about you." And I was like, "I was like, oh yeah, this is literally the first time they've ever spoken to each other." Um, it's so it, it, people want them to be together, but yet like they hadn't actually all been together ever. Right. Yeah. We, so, we see them as a trio, but they they're really not they're yet. Not. <laughs> so it made me. It gave me an unintentional laugh this time. Um, let's talk about Kylo. Yeah, Kylo Ren. Because we kind of undersold Kylo last Finn week Solo. a little bit. 
Um, man, this guy's journey is also pretty uh, interesting. Yeah. He has such a powerful inner struggle. <laughs> yeah. More than, like, anyone. Yeah. Well, he doesn't know what he wants to do, I don't think. Um, he, he's, he's got the, uh, this, the Skywalker side of him, the Solo side. Uh, he's got the Vader side. He's got the want for power. He's okay. got everything. He doesn't know what he wants. Um, and it makes him kind of whiny, but... <laughs> I think, honestly, this is how they should have handled Anakin. You know, he is better. The, he's the, a better Anakin in, than in Anakin. the prequels because, like, you see that you see that inner struggle, and he does seem whiny and childish at times, but like dangerous. It works. Yeah, no, he it seems works. Dangerous, and and that was something that Anakin in the prequels never quite seemed was dangerous. He seemed whiny, and he seemed you know maybe motive maybe in terms of motivation plausibly upset, but he never seemed like I don't know that scary. Kylo, or, you know, Adam Driver really has a has a, a scary. Look about him, and and just like when he freaks out, it seems like you want you don't He's want brilliant. to be in his way. He's brilliant. You get why those stormtroopers always walk the other way when they see uh, the you know lightsaber come out, or when yeah. he when he gives a he gives a quick command in this and like throws Hux across the room, and the guy at the helm just goes firing. <laughs> like yeah, he yeah. just like very quickly goes to what He's, Kylo ordered. He's legitimately scary, and and his big key turning point in the, in this movie is the really just amazing showdown. Between Hirei, Snoke, and the the Knights of Ren, mm-hmm. when um, we get this amazing twist where Ben turns the lightsaber and turns it on and cuts Snoke in half, right? Um, right as we think he's about to kill Rey, mm-hmm. um, but then we get this we get this moment of is he part is he coming to the light now, yeah. or is it something else? And it seems to be something else. Yeah, where he then asks Ray to to f- let the past die, right, and join him to create a new order. Yeah, love it. <laughs> yeah, kill the past. He says, let it die. You know, get rid of Luke. Forget about Luke. Forget about Han and Leia and all of them. Forget about Snoke. He it it, it it took him a while to figure that part out, but he finally just said, forget this guy. Yeah. You know, like, why am I, you know, like, why am I am I following this guy in the first place? And very shockingly, I think that was a problem for a lot of people, too, was, you know, in theory, Snoke had been built up to be this really big bad. And let's face it, he was. He was a really, he, he was a really intimidating character for the majority of this movie. And then Kylo kills him. And I think a lot of people were upset that they thought that that was going to be, like, this guy's going to be the bad guy for, like, the, you know. The whole trilogy, mm-hmm. and then Kylo yeah, kills him. To kill so him. a lot of people were there are people who are upset about that, but that's one of kind of my one, uh, along my word of subversive mm-hmm. is like you kind of expect Snoke to get away, and they're going to have a final showdown in the third movie, but they subvert that by having him die here at the and hands having, of his own having protege. Kylo make a choice that we probably expected him to make. You know, a lot a lot later on, he makes it now. I'm taking the step forward now. I'm the supreme leader. You know, and he makes an appeal for Ray to come with him. Thankfully, she's not taking it yet. Doesn't it kind of feel, in hindsight, seeing the the a lot of the the more unreasonable backlash to the movie, that the uh, let the past die line it almost seems to have personally offended some fans? Yeah, it seems like it was almost meant for them. Yeah, I don't know. You, know. Uh, you guys, <laughs> uh, Snoke's yeah. Snoke is like not an exciting character from. Uh, from a story standpoint, because he's just a stand-in for what the Emperor was. And so, he was my least... I mean, I, I like 
I think he's interesting looking and has great lines. But in Force Awakens, when his scene in like the hologram chair like really bummed me out, I was like, oh, it's just it is going to be the same thing. We have this overlord that watches and kind of manipulates and blah blah blah. And so when it came down to the chunk of the Last Jedi where that was happening, I fully assumed we were going to get some type of fight or whatever. And the fact that he is taken out because he may mean a lot to Kylo. He's in the realm of the story, not that important. He he's pulled strings, but his his death propels the story into a far more interesting space because now this yes. this person we've spent a lot of time with and sort of understand his struggles because we know his families and we've seen firsthand what just moment to moment he says he's literally being torn apart. Um, he's physically being torn apart. Uh, we know we don't know what he's capable of. He's he's sort of jarring because he's uh, out of control. And so now that he is the lead, it's I think uh, for the better. And that's what I I have a section in my notes called "Here's Why Snoke Doesn't Matter." And essentially, it's all of that. Like one thing that I like about Kylo is again, there's a lot of people that say a lot of aspects of these new f- movies are knockoffs or takeaways from the, or- the original ones. What I like about Kylo versus Vader is that Vader, as badass as he was, was never the one in charge. He was always stringed doing what he was told by Palpatine. And had Snoke stayed around, it would have been the same thing. But now we see that Kylo is, at this moment, the one in charge. He's unstring- He's untethered. He can do whatever he wants because there is no one to challenge him. He took out the guy that was supposed to be Mr. Big. The guy kept him in check. Yeah. yeah. And now he is the one that's in charge. And that's a part that Vader never got to. And, again, that this goes into the speculation of, like, I am intrigued to see what they do with Palpatine. Has he actually been pulling the strings? Maybe. Would that make it seem like it's more a New Hopey in the original Star Wars with that dynamic? Or not. I don't know what they're going to do. But I really like the idea of Kylo ascending to a part where Vader never got and is the one now calling the shots and who's going to question him. And because he's so emotional that he can't really control himself. So anything could happen. And that's what I really like and why the backlash about Snoke going away is of zero importance to me. Well, I want to... I, I, I think you're right. But I want to take a quick... I want to disagree with you Please for, just, for just a moment. Bring some disagreement to this. It is not necessarily... I, I think it's fine to say that you are not necessarily, you know, like you weren't attached to Snoke in a way that like necessarily means anything by him being taken away. But I don't want to... Fr- I, I, I hesitate to characterize it as he doesn't matter. I think he serves in a very important uh, role within the story to that, that gives us where we're going with Kylo. If he hadn't been presented as being so powerful and so manipulative you know then kylo killing him if he if nobody cares then there's no point there's no there's no like you know he might as well just have him sucked out in a vacuum tube or something like that it needed to it needs to mean something yeah. that kylo chose to kill him overthrow him essentially and take control for himself of not just his own destiny but of the of the the first order right so like i think that while I'm gl- very excited to see where that means the story is going, I, I I think that they did a fine job of 
crafting a character that you wanted to see beaten. And I'm really excited that they made that choice sooner rather than later. Now, it wouldn't have worked in one film, but I think bringing it as the climax of the second film, because now we don't know where we're going. Right. You know, now anything could happen. It's like, uh, it's like, uh, man, I, I, I haven't been this... After he died, I had not been that uncertain of what was going to happen next in a Star Wars movie since, like, I don't know, I was nine years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I was really, really on edge. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I ran out of a steam there. I don't know. What to, yeah, no, I, get what I don't you're know saying. where to I move think, on from there. I think there's a little, there's there's some, yeah, I think you're right that, that Snoke doesn't matter at this point. And he shouldn't, and maybe he wasn't meant to do what we thought. But it is true that he mattered to because he's the reason why Kylo got the chance to ascend to a higher power. Mm-hmm. Uh, without Snoke, he would have just remained in charge, and we wouldn't have gotten this huge character turn. Right. So yeah, that that well, you're both right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and let me clarify: when I say Snoke doesn't matter, I don't mean that he didn't matter at all. Okay. What I what I meant was that. I don't care about his backstory because his backstory is just another dark side, all powerful guy who snuck in and, and took power. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't That's need to know we, his backstory. And, and, yeah. He he served his purpose. We learned how he got to Kylo. He put his seed in Kylo, and Kylo turned. Yeah, I know. Gross. <laughs> but and that's all we needed to know about him. He served his purpose, right? And so the frustration with him being killed again fl- flabbergasts me because we got what we needed out of him. Right, right, right. And that's and that's what I wanted to clarify. Yeah. But uh, yeah, a lot of it was because a lot of people had these insane, over the top fan theories about who Snoke was and you know wh- you know what his whole thing was and that was i think a, a, another part of the backlash of this movie was people not having the questions answered that they yeah. crafted for well, themselves over the course of 2 years you know there's some people who want a story to go like they think just cuz that makes them comfortable and there's some people who like it when their their expectations are subverted it's just i've always been the kind of person who in various fandoms and all that you always want to like speculate on what's going to happen. We're going to do that about Rise of Skywalker. But I never wanted it to really be what I thought because then you're at least I'm a bit let down when it's what I thought, mm-hmm. you know? Cuz then it's predictable. It, exactly. You know, and it's predictable and so, you're like, well, yeah. I saw that coming. Um let's go from Kylo into Rey cuz they have an interesting dynamic as well. Um that really hasn't been answered yet. The, the biggest question being, are they somehow related to each other? We don't know Ray's parentage. It's probably the number one question of this series. Where did she come from? Um, yeah, Kylo, she, yeah. Kylo tells her, "No, you come from nobody. You yeah. know this is true. Yeah, you have no part in this You're story. Just junk, your parents are just junk traders who are in a pauper's grave on Jakku. Mm-hmm. So... Do we believe him? Because Ray seems to. I think that while Kylo may uh, lie from time to time, I don't think he's lying here. But I don't think it necessarily. Necess- I don't think it necessarily means he's right. I think as far as what he knows, because they both looked into each other's future, is what they said when they touched. They saw each other's future, and she said, "I saw you turning with me," and he said, "I saw it going the other way." So they can't. Somehow they can't both. They they either have to both be some form of right or there's like something more going on so he may have saw her parents as being nobody but that may not be entirely true Mm -hmm. so it's as true as far as he knows it 
That would be my thought because I don't really think that there's much reason for him to lie there. You know? Sure. Like, if he tells her that she, you know, her parents are nobody and she finds out later, that's just going to, like, set them at conflict again. And he wants there to be harmony between them, in theory, so that they can rule the universe together. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think as far as Kylo's concerned, he's telling the truth. But he could be ultimately wrong about what the actual truth is. Yeah. Daniel, what do you think about this? I think I go on the same page. I, I think Kylo b- believes what he said is true. Um, if my personal preference would be that it is true, because I think as mm-hmm. a character, it's so much more interesting. Um, when the prequels tried to set up the midichlorian concept, mm-hmm. I think it it hit a nerve with people because the idea that this was... A, I mean, this is obviously fictional, but the idea that this was attainable by anyone is powerful to the storytelling. This idea that these underdogs and these people, anyone could potentially be this, is exciting. And I think from, from an audience perspective, you want to be able to, to you know, kids and adults alike fantasize this idea of, what if I was in this situation? And the concept that you have to be born with it by some type of bloodline really strips that away, and I, I hate that idea. Um, so if she is really a nobody that's come into this, it's, I think, really satisfying from a storytelling perspective and a character thing because it means everything was earned by her. Mm-hmm. Nothing was, you know, it's not connected. My my worry is that um, Rise of Skywalker will, and we can talk, we can talk about that later, but I, I think it, it will it will dive more into it in a way that takes that away from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I have a theory. We'll talk about it later. But I also think that when they saw each other's future in Last Jedi, this is my thinking. Because... You can, as been proven over the last many years, people can see the same thing, the exact same thing, and interpret it different ways. Mm -hmm. So I think that when they saw each other's future, they saw up to that particular fight where they kill Snoke. I think that Rey interpreted them fighting together and him killing Snoke as him turning to the, the light. He interpreted it as he saved her, he killed the First Order, and wants to establish something new, and her, her her turning means joining forces with him. I think that's what they... I think they both saw the same thing and are interpreting it in different ways. And so when they got to the point where they led themselves to believe and go beyond that, they misconstrued what they saw, and now they're enforced with she's with the light, he's with the dark. That's my theory. Well, and- the movie also presents that to you because it shows the flashbacks to Kylo and Luke's, or to Ben and Luke's confrontation in the hut mm-hmm. of how they saw the event unfold. And so we're literally visually shown that everyone sees things differently, even though at its core it's the same, it's the same idea. Right. So beyond that, you know, I, I like the idea of her being a nobody. Um, you see that also mm-hmm. set up in the end of this movie where the kid on Canto Bite uses the Force to force himself a broom. Like, yeah, I wondered about that. That just implants that everybody in the the, the galaxy has this within them. And I think, to, to bring it back to Luke, I think that's why I really enjoyed his final battle. It's because everybody sees it as him being cowardice, where he doesn't actually go and stand up to Kylo. When I think what he did was made him more powerful than anything else because he's able to project himself how many light years away onto a place where nobody knew. That's something that we've never seen done before. The idea 
was to give that spark to the new resistance. And we already saw that they had sent out a message to people who knew who they were, and nobody responded. And so by Luke giving them time to get away, he ignited that spark and gave all of them this fire of, I may be no one, but I can do something. And that's what they need the people in the galaxy to realize. And I think that's why he won himself with the Force. I don't think he's gone, but again, we'll get that later. But he won himself with the Force. He ignited that spark with the idea of, anybody can do this. You don't need me. You have you and what's inside of you. I'm getting chills. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh. He, he even says, like... Um, or, or, or I'm getting this from somewhere. Like, you don't need the legend of Luke Skywalker, and he's trying to distance himself from being the only thing that's going to change how this war is going to go. Like, if you put all of it on one person, and then that person fails, then everything fails. Like, the it has to be, it has to be so much bigger than just one hero, one legend, um, and. Um, I think that how that plays into what's going to happen with Ray is going to be, uh, hopefully, is going to make for one of the coolest uh, uh, movies. You know that you know at the end, like the, the coolest third movie in a franchise anybody's ever seen, because Ray has been set in this universe that is full of these bigger than life names that we've all grown up saying hundreds and hundreds of times and and, and pretending to be and, and going dressing as Halloween. She's now this new character that exists in this world and has sort of risen high, high, high up in the rankings of characters and has shown an incredible amount of power. How she's going to handle having all that put on her and how she's handled it so far, I think, has really been fascinating. Well, so. to circle back for a second, you talk about the idea of the legend. I think The Last Jedi uses it so brilliantly because we hear Luke talks about the danger of this legend ideal, and Ray's like, well, maybe we need a legend. And that comes true because the idea, the concept of the legend is used to let the rebels escape. Mm -hmm. The mere image of Luke Skywalker being there halts the entire First Order army so that Kylo Ren, in his like obsession with f finding and killing his old master... He can take it on. It has to be. It's such a personal vendetta, and that ploy lets them have the time to get out of there. Like the concept of legend freezes an entire. Cause he makes the joke early on, like you mean to walk out in front of the entire first order with a laser sword, and he literally does that. <laughs> and I think you think it's going to be, oh, we're going to get this moment, and you do, but it's not what you expect because it's the way that makes sense because it's taking the idea of the legend and turning it to how Luke sees it, where he's like, people are got this is how they operate because to them it means something when it shouldn't, and it's their failure. That moment when we realize that Luke is not actually there is Woo! one of the greatest <laughs> moments of my entire life. I right? left my body. <laughs> and then the, then the second time you go see it and you see that they gave it to you right in your face whenever he wipes his foot across that salt yes! and it doesn't move. And yes! you go see it again and you go, oh my God, it was there the whole time. Oh, it's yeah. amazing. Or even the other uh, things like he's using the lightsaber that broke up... Uh, you know, oh, yeah, 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 up on the ship. So it's like, how did he get that? So there's like all these little things like they tell like and and, and that was something else. They got a lot of, you know, controversy from people that are like, that's too far gone. The, that's not how the force works. 
You know, they didn't like that. They didn't like Leia floating in space. There's like all this like uh, anger over how the Force is used in this movie, and it's so I don't know. It's so uh, small minded, I guess. I don't know. It's not thinking big, and the stuff that we I mean, people these there's these people that like clamor for the old expanded universe stuff, and this is stuff that you know was hinted at or performed in versions of the expanded universe in different ways or so. I don't. It's such a cool moment. Yep. Uh, and you see, um, I wanted to, you see um, uh, the one of the immediate scenes after is uh, just before the kid uses the force on the broom is those kids reenacting that fight. Yeah. Luke Skywalker. You mm-hmm. know, and like he's standing here and he's, he's staring down these battle droids. Like the, you see the legend in action, inspiring the future generations. You know, if Luke is able to utilize his his name to inspire one last major act of resistance then it's not then that's that's taking his what he perceives as his failure and turning it into a lasting success yeah um hang on i was i was looking for something and i lost my place on it which is annoying um what you got there words yeah i wanted to talk about i wanted to talk about rose's act of heroism at the very end because right. mm-hmm. um, Luke's not the only hero right there uh, Rose decides well she there's there's so much heroism going on because because Finn is going to like sacrifice sacrifice himself. himself by crashing into this oncoming horde of first order who are about to destroy the last bastion of the resistance so showing his arc that he's come through. showing that yes exactly and Rose steps in and stops him, crashes into him, yep. uh, to keep themselves to keep him alive. And at the same time, Poe is finally realizing we have to be a unit and we have to fall back. Us charging is only getting more of us killed, and we need as many as we can. Mm-hmm. So yeah, everyone is acting a hero in all of those different ways. Yeah, and um, Rose in general, we we haven't really talked about. Um, Ryan Johnson said he wanted to. It was one of the few characters that he wrote into the into the movie. He he. Um, introduced, uh, is it uh, General Holdo? Is it Vice Admiral Holdo or something Vice like Admiral. that? We have Benicio Del Toro's character, and we get Rose. And he said with Rose, he wanted to write a character that didn't feel like she fit in a Star Wars movie. He wanted to write a nerd, somebody who's at the very lowest level of the Resistance, but totally typifies what the Resistance is. Another showing she's, of a nobody, quote-unquote, yeah. rising to the top. She's lived in this, she's lived in this galaxy. Under the foot of the, you know, the new, the first order, you know, and her parents were under the empire. She's, it's a very personal resistance for her, and she loses her sister in that fight. Yeah, and so like she, yeah, her sister sacrifices. She's exactly who Finn needs to run into because Finn has no attachment to this fight. He wants out of it. Rose has all the attachment to this, so much so that she gives away something that she, you know, like she gives like her like only memory of her sister she thinks forever it, look, it doesn't turn out that way luckily but she's willing to do that that's how important the fight is to her and I really found her character to be fascinating I know that it's it's a sad state of affairs the way the internet uh, reacted after the movie um, especially towards um, at least it's, it's Kelly Marie Tran yeah. correct and um, I think she did a great job of being a very real person in this universe, as opposed to these larger-than-life characters that we're so used to getting. Yeah, and, and Rose has m- my favorite line in the movie, and 
perhaps all of Star Wars when she says that's how we're going to win, not fighting what we hate, saving what we love mm-hmm. to Finn after he saves her. Ah, that's that's it. That's Star Wars to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just it with a bow. Mm-hmm. Daniel? Yeah, she's... I, I love her character. I completely understand the the dislike for Canto Bite. If I had to like yeah. nitpick things, I, I think there's an issue in like the pacing and sort of how it feels because we we've established that, you know, they're running out of gas, we're short on time, and so then having this sort of these calm moments on Canto Bite, you're like, What are you guys doing? Blah, blah, blah. But regardless, it's it's character moments for them and puts uh, perspective into, as you guys said, a, a character we don't it doesn't fit the usual mold of, of Star Wars. She's sort of this... She's like the blue-collar worker doing her job and sending support when she can, and she sees a moment that she can like step up and do something after having lost her sister and takes that moment. She is She's the opposite of, of, of Finn in that she's not looking for how to run. She's or she, she is running, but into battle instead and I I don't know, like everything about like her performance I think she has in, they have instant chemistry and she has such like a, a a warmth to her that you would be like no wonder people want to be her friend in this like she sort of inspires and yeah I, I agree also about that line I think that encompasses something and people don't like it because it's it is it is a little cheesy but I think intentionally yeah. so because the the story of Star Wars can't just be well we've got to you know kill all the bad guys we hate because the bad guys don't see themselves as bad necessarily all the time, so the, the concept of saving what you love, I think, is a much more effective theme. Yeah, it's a, it's idealistic, and and people want to you know uh, have a problem with that. But, but it's funny that it's funny that people's complaint is that that line is too idealistic, but they hate how cynic, cynical Luke is. Yeah, it's like pick one. That works. Pick one, man. Um, I'm trying to think. It, it, are we ready to switch gears? Well, so I, I just want to talk about yeah the end, and then we can transition yeah, to okay. our speculation. So, like, the reason that I really like this movie, in addition to everything that we talked about, is because this is the first time where I genuinely have a no clue what I'm about to experience going into this mm-hmm. final episode. I have absolutely no idea because anything. I think it's the second time. Well, <laughs> any anything. I felt the same way after Force Awakens. <laughs> anything is absolutely possible. Yeah. Did Kylo lie? about Ray's parents. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. She could be somebody. She could not be somebody. You don't know. Is Luke actually gone? Yeah, I don't know. He may not be. Nope. Is the resistance like I have there's so many questions that I don't even have a good I have some theories that we'll talk about here, but I don't have a good grasp on what's going to happen and for a story that's been in my life all of my life and beyond. It, that is exactly the way that I want it. I want to just go in completely blank. No, I've got chills. <laughs> See? Yeah. Chills are going around. Yeah, it is. Um, it's not just because it's 40 degrees outside. Yeah, and I mean, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but that ending with with the the boy forcing himself the broom and then yeah. raising it to the stars yeah. is great. All right, uh, Daniel, did you have any final thoughts on the movie? Uh, yeah, I sort of just wrote my. This is I wrote this after the second time I saw it, like the next day, and I put that the Last Jedi sort of fundamentally alters the Star Wars landscape uh, for better or for worse for some people. Where Force Awakens was like this, I, I called it like a, a bl- like your favorite blanket. It's like nostalgic and it's cozy and like you love being there. 
and Last Jedi sort of like takes that away from you, and now you're like in the snow and it's beating the shit out of you. I like um, it. It hurts so. And good. I think at its core, it's fascinating as a, as a blockbuster movie because it is about nostalgia and hero worship and myth making, and it's presented all these people that we love, old and new, with difficult and meaningful decisions that. People are going to say, people will argue. This is funny because I don't think the backlash has started yet, but I wrote people will argue um, strays from the old ways, but I think that's the point. And they say it, let the past die. Um, and as, the, as our world changes, art changes, and I think at the same time a galaxy far, far away is changing. And so it's subverting familiar tropes, and it doesn't care about your theories uh, that we've spent two years doing. It's, it's fresh and it's unexpected, and it's uh, at about the emotional character core rather than a convoluted plot. And I, but I think it will be a divisive piece of filmmaking, and rightfully so. It's challenging and often frustrating journey into failure, but with failure comes growth, and the audience must embrace that all the same. That was my my write up. Perfect, love it. Okay, so we're going to switch gears now and and speculate about what's to come in the Rise of Skywalker. So if you're one of those people who doesn't want to hear any speculation, oh. uh, go ahead and peace out now. Uh, that's fine. We won't be offended. Uh, I know some people really just want to go in completely blind. So there's your warning. And now let's throw our crazy theories at the wall and see what sticks. Who wants to start? I'm going to start. Oh, Josh is going to go first. <laughs> I, I'll answer my own question. So I actually, I this this theory came to me while you were talking about the Emperor stuff. Okay. And I thought, okay. So your fear was that the Emperor would come back and be revealed as, like, the puppet master the whole time or some kind of... He's back to being the bad guy. Mm. But what if that's half true and what's really happening is Kylo Ren seemingly wants to start anew. He doesn't want to be a part of the First Order anymore, but he also doesn't want to be in the Resistance. So what if this becomes a big three-way fight between Kylo Ren, the Emperor, and Rey? Where Kylo's... Or Emperor's like, whoa, wait a minute! We're not doing this. I'm still the boss. Right. Where he's still not in control of him. Mm-hmm. But somehow he comes back to do that. That's an interesting thought. I like that yeah. idea. Yeah. There's a lot of speculation as to whether or not he's, like, really alive. Or yeah. I, I, my, my perception when I first heard his uh, iconic cackle in the first trailer they released back in, I don't know, what was it, May, June? Uh, was that he was going to be like a forest ghost. I don't think we've ever had any reason to believe that only Jedi can become totally one with the force and then come back. Mm -hmm. Um, There are people who initially complained that it was uh, like a Marvel thing to do. Like, oh, they're just bringing back characters that have died for cheap use. And it's like, but I mean, that happens in the Return of the Jedi or in Return of the Jedi, we get Obi-Wan and Yoda back. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see Obi Wan appear as you know as a, as a as a as a hallucination. If you want, you know, he appears on Hoth. Like it's nothing new within the Star Wars universe, and so it would be really fascinating to see what the you know the dark side version of being you know so in tune with you know the dark side of the Force that you can bring yourself back to life. I kind of like well, they, that's sort of my hope is how they go with it because it would be really odd if it turned out he'd been alive after like a really big fall for another forty years and not doing anything uh, obvious anyway. Right. So that's kind of my hope, but like I've done a good job. I, I've done a fair amount of not thinking about the movie because anytime you kind of like overthink and speculate too much, 
you end up being disappointed by whatever happens. Mm-hmm. So, maybe not all the time, but it it happens where you get you get so keyed in on like, well, this is going to happen, and it doesn't, and you feel like you feel stupid because you didn't, you know, think of that. Mm-hmm. I uh, again, I'm going in completely clueless. Like I really don't have. I think we all. Have. Yeah. But my my idea, the theory that I have is a is a pretty far out one in my opinion. I think that if they're gonna try and make Ray a part of a bloodline of some kind, I don't think it's gonna be a Skywalker. I think that's too on the nose. It's not gonna be a solo, that's a little too on the nose. Oh, I know where you're going with this. But I have a theory that she could somehow be related to a Kenobi. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you go back to a new hope. I don't believe at this moment that Obi-Wan was killed by the lightsaber. I think he won himself with the Force because at no point in time, unless and I could be wrong, you never see a lightsaber disintegrate someone to the extent no. that Kenobi did. No. Um, they talk about Rey's parents being nobody on Jakku. Well, what if Kenobi, after he went into exile, decided to live a regular life had a wife, had some kids, but didn't tell them anything about the Force. And they just lived off of crazy old coot Ben Kenobi. And they had no idea. And something within Rey is awakening at this point in time. Luke wanted himself with the Force. If the Emperor wanted himself with the Force, that allows all of them to be able to come back in some way, shape, or form. That is the only, like, way that I could see a bloodline thing being able to make sense. Well, and there's... And I, I don't know if that'll happen or not. I was initially one of my more favorite fan theories is that she's somehow related to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Because it feels like they, at least, at the very least, give an element of a tease of that. Because you hear Ewan McGregor and Alec Guinness speak to her when she first touches Luke's lightsaber. There's this you know extended vision period in The Force Awakens. And you hear Alec Guinness say, Ray, And then you hear Ewan McGregor say, these are your first steps. And so it's very clearly intended to be Obi-Wan Kenobi that's speaking to her. But in what, you know, what does that mean? Like, is it because, is it just because he's a part of the Force and he's, you know, has a vested interest in everything? Or is it, you know, is there something more, you know, uh, you know family related there? It, you know, why is it Luke's lightsaber that calls to her? You know, so there's like a lot of different ways to go into it. My hope is that they maintain that her parents aren't anybody yeah. important um, in the sense that she, because like uh, Daniel talked about, it's great that she kind of earned her place in this story. Um, and if she just turns out to be like, I don't know, it, it'll feel like they, she's just riding off of somebody else's coattails mm-hmm. if they, they write that in. But if they do, if they were to do it, Obi-Wan would be the character I'd be the most interested in that being because i feel like with the idea that they're going to delve into obi-wan with a a disney plus series formerly uh, i believe they were going to make a movie then there's i don't know there's 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 opportunity there to at least explore what that means in the long term but but also and i also look at it as a sense of like this is they're tying it up Mm -hmm. they're tying everything up so if there are any questions this is the opportunity to tie it up mm-hmm. or to bring them back. Again, you brought back the Emperor. You have, I don't know if they that's a normal... Co- yeah, they brought back Yoda. Kenobi's the only one that hasn't been brought back yet. And so I feel like if they're putting all of these things in there, that is another possible way for it to work into that particular story. Again, because 
of the fact that he sacrificed himself in A New Hope and, and went away the way that he did, that raises a question to me. Maybe they answer that. Maybe he is just dead and that's not a thing. I don't know, but that's the only thing that I got. Here's my only real big speculation. We are going to get more, because I don't think, because I put, I watching The Last Jedi, it seems to still be there. I think we're going to get more of this Ray and Kylo being sort of mentally linked by the Force. Seeing what each other is doing, con- con- talking to each other, even though they're not in the same place. I think that's going to continue. I think they're going to go somewhere that has a high uh, amount of importance to the Force. We, we see this... Uh, structure of what appears to be a you know a big uh evil seat that we've been we've seen in the trailer i think that that place is going to be have a, a lot of you know the force is incredibly strong there like we saw on uh luke's uh, hide, hideaway and um i think we're gonna get some really trippy uh visions kind of like we got on uh, with ray looking into like the internal mirror of herself yeah. Yeah. I think we're getting some trippy stuff. What do you got, Daniel? <clears throat> uh, so I think that the movie will be. I think Kylo is going to go in search of answers regarding Snoke and be drawn to some big power, and that's what will lead him to Emperor Palpatine. Um, my big take, and I don't want this to be necessarily what I think they're going to do, is that Rey will be connected to Palpatine and that she is. I don't think granddaughter makes sense, but the whole concept that Anakin was willed into being, because, uh, you know, he didn't have a father in Phantom Menace. Um, I think that there's a connection between Rey and Palpatine, that Rey was supposed to be something that something has has gone amok or, or whatever. Um, and then I, I think it's been a really interesting choice that Force Ghost did not reappear until Last Jedi when Yoda came, when Luke, after Luke opened himself up to Leia. Um, so my belief is that Snoke or if my, my belief is that Palpatine was possessing or influencing or had like created Snoke as sort of a, a puppet for him while he did whatever he's doing in the background. Um, uh, and that he has been basically controlling Ray and Kylo's sort of how they get their information because these force ghosts that are common to show up, like, uh, you know, Kylo's obsessed with Darth Vader. So what does he not know about him? Does he not know how things ended? Why hasn't Anakin shown up to try and talk to him? So I think these these visions that he sort of had about himself in the future and this power that he craves has been uh, orchestrated by Palpatine. Because if you're going to have the Palpatine be the ultimate big bad, then I think from a story-wise, he has to be in everything. Like, he has to be responsible for all this. Um, and then my other big thing is I think that... Um, Scott, the title Rise of Skywalker will be in namesake that Ray does not have a last name and as the movie kind of comes to a conclusion that she'll take the name Skywalker as her own to like continue that legacy um, and then other things I wrote as theories I think the new character Jana will be Lando's child because they love to do that and my my saddest theory that I know won't be true is I want Poe and Finn to end up together. But <laughs> Aww, that would be sweet. Yeah, that would be sweet. They're they're good buddies. Yeah. And I also my my last thing is I think that uh, after the final battle we'll end up on like Tatooine or, or Jakku and we'll have a similar maybe the Force Ghosts are there and we have like another twin son bye bye or something. Yeah, what I like you- the Palpatine idea with Ray because I don't I don't necessarily trust trailers. Yeah. But man, are they shoving Dark Side Ray right 
all over us in those trailers. Well, and one thing that they can do, again, because Star Wars and Marvel and all of these things are so good at giving you nothing about making you think you're getting something, that could be Palpatine saying, this is what was supposed right. to happen, and They're then they, visions like, visions of yeah. Dark Ray yeah, taking yeah. that. I, I think like she'll that. hit, she'll, like, you know, there's, like, the Sith holocrons that sort of uh, act as archives of, of Sith things, and they're, like, kind of cursed to some degree, or they used to be in different things. So I think she'll just see, like, visions of herself, of what she could be, or what she's afraid she's going to be, kind of like how Luke <clears throat> saw when he went into that cave. Um, and she sort of saw when she went to the, to the mirror room. And I also, well, the other thing I had sort of had as a theory is, um, you had mentioned the, the mind, them coming together and the mind will come back. Mm-hmm. I feel like there are moments, if I'm breaking into the trailer, like, I bet there's going to be some type of fight, like a lightsaber fight that happens over that. Because The Last Jedi establishes that physical touch can happen. And mm-hmm. I was like, it would be really cool to have them fight in a place that they can't both be at the same time, because it doesn't make sense from a story perspective, but then they can fight because they can project themselves there. Yeah. Who knows? Sick. Yeah, yeah, anything can happen. Yeah. I truly am going in with just absolutely no ideas. Yeah, so how about this one, though? Because he says the line in the trailer, and I feel like we've all seen the most recent trailers for uh, The Rise of Skywalker, mostly because it plays in front of every YouTube video or anything you pull up right now. <laughs> uh, is something bad going to happen to C-3PO? <laughs> oh, I do. My other theory is that something that C-3PO will be major to this plot and what happens, I think it'll be some type of like encoded, because whatever will leave the, whatever will leave the good guys to like the Death Star too, if that's what that is, um, C-3PO will have to do something to unlock that. And it's going to like destroy him or wipe his memory or something. And it's going to make him like, I don't know. It'll be sad. It looks like in the trailer, but my, my theory with him was he's somehow downloaded into the ship again. Like, I know they've done that several times, so I, I don't think that's the route they would take, but, like, something happens to the ship, 3PO's got to be downloaded into it to help them accomplish their task. Like, I'm they not did with, convinced they did the that ship with will Solo. make it. Uh-huh. Do you think one of the last icons they destroy is going to be the Millennium Falcon? I th- <laughs> yeah, I think it's possible. Oh, I, I also believe that Leia will pass, and that will sort of be the crux that um, for Ray and Kylo, who've now lost every parental figure in their life. Yeah, yeah. That's an. I'm really interested to see how they handle Leia, knowing that they're using unused footage from The Force Awakens to kind of reconstruct her character. Yeah, I am very curious how they'll handle that. And it would work if they do Force Ghosts because you have a really nice moment. Because you know they complained about not getting the original trio back together. If they're all Force Ghosts, I mean, I guess that would have to be Han Solo would be a Force Ghost, but we don't know what he's been doing. And he was married to Leia, and so maybe he knows some stuff. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anyone can have it. I can dream. Yep. Do we think it's going to end with a big, powerful resistance of people who have found the Force within? Um, no, I think it'll keep it small to allow future storytellers a little more leeway that we're not really sure where, where the world is. We know that, you know, they'll be free if they, if they defeat them, there's freedom to sort of move on, but I don't think they'll make a a grand of a thing because they want to make it accessible to the future writers of Star Wars. And then last question from me is, do we think that this will def- have a definitive end with a bow on top, or will they leave it relatively open to revisit the Skywalker saga if these 
new ones don't go over well and people just complain that they want the they want this back they want, this is different I don't like it and so will they leave the door cracked just a little bit for them to potentially revisit if they have to I think there will always be enough for hope but I don't think I believe that there isn't an intention to continue the Skywalker saga as we know it no, but there yeah. definitely will exist a future afterwards. Yes, there as will continue seen, to be Star Wars movies. As we've seen with The Mandalorian, there's plenty of, of areas to explore mm-hmm. beyond the Skywa- the central Skywalker saga. There's, you know, little tiny bits that exist between movies. So, like, so there could be a trilogy that follows this but has no connection directly to it. But you can't have it in such a way... I, I don't think they're going to end it in such a way that, like... There's no more bad guys anywhere in the universe. We got them. Right. They're all gone for. They're sure. all done for. But like the you know the the most important as we know them will be you know probably gotten rid of. But they're still going to be you know it's a big galaxy. There's a lot of stories to tell. But you know so I I think they will tell stories that take place after Episode Nine. Maybe not right away, but at some point. Yeah, I think I think we'll get a nice conclusion that concludes the Skywalker saga, but the ending will also not hint at but leave a, a crack door to the future uh, ahead yeah yep alright excited about it I am too yeah I think I'm happy with this yeah I think uh, I think I'm good okay we gotta do uh, box office yeah, numbers and all that yeah, yeah. Let's, wrap let's, this up. let's wrap this thing up I'd go through this pretty quick because we talked a little bit about this last week uh, the Last Jedi uh, debuted the weekend of December 15th in 2017. Finished number one with a three-day opening total of $220 million. Uh, that's the fourth highest opening of all time uh, domestically. So also in the top ten that weekend, uh, we had uh, Ferdinand, starring John Cena. Ferdinand the Boat. Yep. Okay. Got it in there. Uh, we got Coco, which was great. Yep. Coco is an incredible film. Uh, a movie called Wonder. May it brought in $5 million in it, its fifth week. We Did had that uh, Wilson one? Or Owen Wilson. Owen. And then we had uh, Justice League was in its fifth week. Uh, Daddy's Home 2, Jeez. I think also starring John Cena. Yeah, he's in it. Maybe. Uh, and, uh, you know, Will, Will Ferrell and the rest of them. Sure. The actual character. The actual. So uh, then we have Thor Ragnarok at number seven. The Disaster Artist, number eight. Number nine is Murder on the Orient Express. And number ten is uh, Lady Bird. Nice. So uh, three sequels in the top ten that weekend. Uh, we had, you know, obviously Last Jedi, uh, Thor 3, and then Justice League. Uh, Jedi would go on to make $620 million during its 18-week run in the United States. It added $712 million from overseas to give it a worldwide total of $1.3 billion. Wow. Uh, but as you always say, Josh, I thought nobody liked this movie. Yeah, I thought no nobody one liked it. it. I could have Nobody sworn. saw it. It had no legs. Um, it easily cleared its uh, production budget. This is a massive production budget. Mm-hmm. $317 million. Wow. That's a lot of money. Uh, as you made it back in the three days, right? As uh, well, one of you said it earlier, like uh, Ryan Johnson was talking about how this movie t- took him four years to make. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a, it's a heavy undertaking. At six hundred twenty million domestic, Last Shot is the number one movie uh, in the United States for twenty seventeen. We were recently just in twenty seventeen uh, <laughs> talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, it's like and in real life, uh, yeah. and, you know, uh, talking far. about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Yeah. Uh, so, so the other big movies from twenty seventeen: Beauty and the Beast, Wonder Woman. Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, Guardians of the Galaxy, Spider Man, uh, the first It, mm-hmm. uh, or I say I should say the first new It, mm-hmm. Chapter One, 
Thor Ragnarok, Despicable Me 3, Justice League. That's your top ten for that year. Um, Josh, you always you're always interested in like the the highest grossing quote unquote uh, you know original concept movie, right? You know, like something that wasn't like based on an adaptation. Sure. So I believe the uh, Coco is going to be the winner there. Cool. That's not based on a pre existing comic or book or you know remake or anything like that. Respect. So Coco and then probably Dunkirk mm-hmm. is right behind that. Uh, let's see here. It's the um, number one movie. It was the number one movie worldwide that year. Thirteenth highest grossing movie of all time uh, on the worldwide scale. Compared to the Force Awakens, Last Jedi takes a bit of a dip in terms of that money that it brought in. But like anything is going to look like nothing compared to Force Awakens. It's the only minute, uh, member of the nine hundred million dollar club. I mean, it's a it's a it's a, it's a domestic monster. So. Um, it's really interesting to, in terms of the box office stuff, to compare the trilogies. Because people, there's a lot of people, we talked about the haters earlier, that want to act like, because Last Jedi only made $600 million in the United States, that it was like, oh, big failure, nobody wanted to go see it. But if you actually go back and you look at the original runs for all three trilogies, the second movie always makes the least amount. Empire Strikes Back made less than A New Hope and Return of the Jedi. Attack of the Clones made less than A Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith. There's always a dip in the second movie, and then people go back to the theater for the last one. So I think that to speculate where Rise of the Skywalker might land, I think it's probably going to make between seven hundred and eight hundred million dollars domestic, maybe even more than that. It's going to be up there with what Avengers Endgame made in domestic. It's going to be, I think, very likely a two billion dollar movie. You heard it here first. Worldwide, I don't think it. it there's a chance it might not. Wow. But is the last Star Wars. Yeah. They have done an incredible job of marketing this thing in both the United States and at a worldwide level. Uh, kids all over the planet want to be Rey and they want to be Darth Vader still and they want to be, you know, Luke Skywalker. I think the way they've presented this as being, you know, one last go, I think a ton of people are going to come out. It would be, um, it would be, oh, how many is it? It's like five now. I think we have five um, uh, two billion dollar films and yeah, top lifetime grosses of all time or in the year of all time. <laughs> this year we've only had the uh, only, only had, had the a one. few. We only had the one two billion dollar movie this year, but yeah, there's five two billion dollar movies. This one might do it. This one might pass Infinity War and maybe could pass Star Wars: The First, The Force Awakens in terms of. Uh, All right. in terms of worldwide gross, but I don't think it's going to pass it domestically. All right. I mean, you'd have to make a billion dollars domestically to pass I'm Force excited. Awakens, more or less. So, well, I can I can help with that a little. It's going to be yeah. a very. I mean, this movie could if they leave it in theaters for twenty weeks, this it could go. Who, you know, sky's the limit. All right. Uh, well, now let's uh, wrap up with our Rotten Tomatoes game. We're going to all four of us guess the score of uh, Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Yeah, who's uh, running it this week? I don't remember because that's my thing. I'm not remembering. <laughs> this one of you two. I think it's you actually. Did I win? I think. Oh, so. I can look it up. So go ahead and do that. Oh, hang on. I wish I'd already pulled that up now. Well, we can guess. We got time. Yeah, we I'm got time uh, ninety-five. Okay. Um. Hmm. Mm-mm-mm. Ninety. Let's say ninety. Daniel, do you have a guess as to what the last Jedi might uh, be rated on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm gonna go. 88. Okay. 88, 90, you say 95. 95. All right. 
I'm excited to also talk about the discrepancy between <laughs> the because I know there's a huge one. Yeah, <laughs> the critics and now um, something that uh, Dayon, did you guys play the Rotten Tomato game when Daniel was here the first mm, time? I don't think we were doing not that yet. not the way no, that it was it's so structured. fresh and new. Yeah, it's uh. So what I'll do here is I'm going to read the critics' consensus to give you one last chance to think about it and maybe change if you're feeling less confident after hearing the consensus as it's uh, as it's created on Rotten Tomatoes here. So, Star Wars The Last Jedi honors the saga's rich legacy while adding some surprising twists and delivering all the emotion-rich action fans could hope for. I mean, I agree. Does that help her? Oh, wait. Am I supposed to guess The Last Jedi's? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I was guessing The Rise of Skywalker. Oh! <laughs> uh, well, we'll keep note of that. My bad. Um, <laughs> is what he said. I... I gotta be honest, I know The Last Jedi's oh, okay. from, oh, from well, it's, it's the same as it was six months ago. Probably okay. is. Yeah. Okay. Can so I still just... guess from memory? I mean, I have nothing to... So I'm... you say 95. Yeah, I'm not gonna... Can I change? I, mean, I have you no say, reason to change. I'll keep 90. You say 90 even. I think, it, I, I think it's uh, 91, maybe 92. I'll say uh, 91. Okay, well, in that case, our one-time winner is Daniel. Hey! Hey! It is 91%. Yes. The cool. audience score, that's based on 455 reviews. The audience score is 43. That's stupid. That's silly. Is that's it stupid. Based on this, two... this movie basically made it to where... They like, changed the rules, yeah, they changed this, the rules right? because of this. Yeah, this is the, based on 213,000 reviews. Yeah, this I bet it is. Internet. Got a little knocked over popcorn bucket. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> You're wrong. You're angry for no reason. Shut up. I feel like, too, this movie kind of started the trend. Because it was after this, like, things like Captain Marvel. Captain uh, Marvel was banned. Like, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, Ghostbusters. Did it come out before this or after? I don't know. Before, I think. Well, before? I don't know. Whichever one came first started this big trend of, of, of review bombing movies. Idiots. Okay, well, that wraps up this episode. We'll be back next week with The Rise of Skywalker. Very exciting. Yep. Daniel, thank you for joining us again today. Thank you for having me. Uh, again, you can find his show, uh, Talking Tom, the Pod Hanks Tomcast, on uh, <laughs> wherever you get um, podcasts from. Yeah. Uh, like we said, they review all the Tom Hanks movies. It's very fun. Um, until next time, though, you can find us online at so many sequels.com. We are also wherever you get podcasts or your uh, social media fix. So we'll see you next time. Bye. Goodbye.